All right, we continue in our series in Hebrews, so I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're looking at all these characters, figures, historical figures of faith from the Old Covenant. Tonight, there's a little bit of a break in between two notes about Abraham. So we're in Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 13 to 16. Keep your Bibles handy as we'll be looking at some other verses as well. Children, here are your questions for this evening. First, do the Old Testament people of faith trust in the same God that we do? Two, what are some promises they looked forward to? Three, what kind of better country were they looking for? Four, how did that help them when life was difficult for them? And five, they all died. Where did they go when they died? Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There ends reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for the way that you reveal yourself to us. You've shown yourself so vividly in your creation, but knowing our thickness, knowing our blindness, you've also given us your holy word so that we might truly hear and respond to the things that you've revealed to us. As we come to the preaching of your word, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive first from you, and then we pray that you would help the preacher, that you would sanctify the words that come from this pulpit to the ears and to the hearts of your people gathered here this evening. Speak to us, we humbly pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage tonight begins with, they all died. They all died. The sad truth about life, they all died. You might immediately say, well, Enoch and Elijah didn't die, but those two are unusual characters. That doesn't happen to everyone. But all these saints that are spoken of in this chapter all died. Sad truth of life, but the important thing is, and the point that the writer of Hebrews is making, is that they all died in faith. They all died in faith. Now, it may actually be that the author is simply referring to the three patriarch fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, these principles that we're going to look at apply to all of the saints in this chapter, except for maybe Samson, who we'll point out a couple times is kind of the odd duck 
in this whole list of people of faith. Uh, We have to remember that even though that they were all sinners, they were saved by grace and they lived by faith. They had three things in common. Uh, They had an undying faith, they had unfailing vision, and they had, because of that, unbound lives. Unbound lives. They're set here as examples for those who are still on their journey. The people of the Hebrews needed to hear that there were those who went before them that actually persevered in the faith. They didn't give up and they made it to the end. They lived by faith and they died in the faith. All Christians through the ages need to hear that same thing. No matter what our lives are like, whether we live lives of ease, which many of us do, or whether we're under the heavy burdens that life can sometimes bring, as many of our brothers and sisters experience, and some of us have and some of us will experience in this life. But these are set out as examples. They experience the blessings of a relationship with God, great blessings in that sense, but they also experience struggles and challenges and trials and temptations. But they had an undying faith, an undying faith. It was undying because it was anchored in God who doesn't change. And it was a response to the promises that he had made to his people, a God that does not change and a God that promises does not break his promises. All that he says will come to pass comes to pass. That's the God they trusted in. That's what gave them undying faith and that took them through their lives their regular daily lives. They understood how dependent they were upon this God to provide for them and to keep them. They understood that their worldview was to be shaped by what God had revealed. So whatever they looked at in life, the small things in their lives or the big things in the world, they they understood that they were to look at all these things in the world through the perspective that God had given them by his grace given them faith, and through his revealed word. And so they had this world view. And certainly for some of them, just like for us, there were times when they had days where they felt really strong in their faith, and others days when they felt like their faith was minuscule. They're not unlike us. I think that's important for us to understand. If they were, if they were superheroes of the faith, these passages wouldn't make any sense. But the point is, there are people just like the Hebrews. There are people just like us. And they had to exercise daily faith. But their faith, as has been pointed out before, their faith was the kind of faith that inspired obedience. It may be one thing to say that we have faith, we have that sense, we have that trust, but it's another thing to have that faith tested by the way that we respond to the things around us. And true faith responds with obedience no matter what the challenges are. And we learn that with some of them already, that they were obedient in the light of some real challenges that they faced. So that's pretty basic. Faith on a regular daily basis, faith that inspires a worldview, faith that prompts obedience. Those are pretty basic things, but we can so easily lose sight of those things. And if we do, we have to go back to those basics again and again, maybe every day. 
but they also had faith that brought them through trials and temptations. Each one of them faced those things, faced trials and temptations. Those things that are common to mankind, disappointment, loss, failure, broken relationships, decay, physical afflictions, emotional afflictions, spiritual attacks. Those are all common to man, but they're, they're processed differently for the saints of God. In some ways, they're more intensified because they tend to feel more. Feel more the sense, the burden of this fallen world. And so God's people have to have a special strength, and they get that special strength from God and the faith in whom they've put their God. Because they're special targets of the evil one. The devil is constantly after God's people. It's not as if he he has to deal with the people that are already in his grip and in darkness. But he's constantly coming at us and tempting us. It's why Paul tells us that we have to have the full armor of God in place all the time to withstand the wiles and the darts of the evil one. So we're prone to those attacks. There are enemies of the faith that will come our way. There are warring desires of our own hearts. We haven't been exempted from the sinful desires of our own hearts. So that wars against us as well. And then there's the lure of the world and the temptation to just give in to our own temptations and lusts and give in to the lures of the world. But the people did not give up. They did not give in because they were people of faith sure that there are times when they were discouraged by their own failures, just like we are. We learned this morning in the denial of Peter just how many ways we can fail our Savior by denying him in so many different areas of our lives and in such a variety of ways. We grieve over our own failures. They were much the same, but they were perseverant. They didn't give up. They somehow knew that it was much better to serve the living God than to serve themselves. They knew that there was real satisfaction ultimately in obedience and not self-indulgence, not even self-preservation. Some of them were willing to and did die for their faithfulness. They knew, they were ahead of their time, they knew They knew it was no good to gain the world and lose their souls. They had their eyes fixed on heaven, storing up treasures on heaven, in heaven. But the thing is, their faith wasn't based on things that they could see. It's part of what faith is. They couldn't see visually the things, even the things that God had promised. They had unfailing vision. Things that they couldn't see. I'm sure. In fact, I know that there were times when their vision was clouded by their circumstances, by their burdens, by the trouble in their life. Think of Job and how obscured his vision was at times because of the tremendous burden that he was under in his affliction. But all these saints certainly had their vision blurred at times, clouded, but they knew 
there were greater things to come. They could see past those clouds. They could see past the fog. They were looking for very specific things, a lot more than I'll mention, but there were two specific things that the people of God were looking for, and we'll focus on Abraham as the best example. Number one, they were looking for a redeemer. Number two, they were looking for a promised land. God had promised them both. God had promised very specifically to Abraham that there would be a seed from him that would be the redeemer. He was going to have multitudes of offspring. But there would be one that would be above all, and he would be the Savior. He did not see Jesus with his eyes in his day, but as Jesus said, he rejoiced at Jesus' day. Ever since the fall and ever since God's promise, God's people have been looking for and longing for the one who would crush the serpent's head and deliver his people. And Abraham had a vision of that. He had a vision of Christ long before Christ came. And that kept getting closer as time progressed. Remember in the Old Testament, it was sort of a telescopic view. It was from a distance. But, but as time progressed near the coming of the Savior, it kept getting closer and closer. They had a telescopic view, but we have it up close. I want you to turn to Galatians, where Paul will elaborate on some of these things. First of all, Galatians 3, just one verse in Galatians 3. I'll try not to do what I did this morning and often do is point you to the wrong passage. If I do, I'll try not to get embarrassed. So Galatians chapter 3, first verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Christ was the focus of that promise. But we have the fullness. Now just flip right over to Galatians chapter 4. And here in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We have experienced the fullness of time in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For that, we can be so thankful. Abraham and the others could only see it as a distance. We've seen it up close. Jesus has come. The Redeemer has come. Messiah has come. The second thing that they were looking for was this permanent promised land. And again, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wandered about in tents. They never actually got to rest in that promised land. They never settled there permanently. They did not see it in their day. In fact, it wasn't until Joshua brought them in and they finally got settled under David in the promised land that they could have some sense of permanence, but even that wasn't permanent. That was just a temporary place that God's people would be, and it was simply a reflection of something far greater to come. 
but they were looking for it. They were hoping for that promised land, but they were looking for something greater. They were looking for that greater city, a wonderful country, a heavenly country, where the glory of God would be fully on display and where they would finally live at peace and live in prosperity. Something far better than they ever experienced in this world, something lasting. And you'll notice that the author says they didn't look back. They could have looked back. Hard to imagine Abraham wanting to go back to Ur of Chaldees among the pagans. It's hard to imagine Israel wanting to go back to Egypt. But not so hard to imagine when we hear the history, read the history of Israel when they were longing to go back to Egypt, to the house of bondage, to the place of slavery. But these, those of faith, don't look back. It never goes well when people look back. God did not appreciate it when his people Israel, that he had given blessing upon blessing, wanted to go back. It certainly didn't go well for Lot's wife when she looked back, wanting to go back. But they were looking for something far greater, a heavenly country. It's what we're looking for, too. But the thing is, for us, in a sense, we've already received it to a degree. We've already received it to a degree. There's a very important principle in Scripture called the already-not-yet principle. Just to kind of wake us up a little bit tonight, I have a t-shirt that actually says already, not yet. I misinterpret that. that when I wear it in the morning, it means I'm already awake, but I'm not ready to talk. No coffee yet. This principle of already, not yet is something that we have to latch on to. The first part we have to latch on latch onto is the already, the tremendous blessings that we already have in Christ, the taste of heaven here. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul gets very excited when he talks about the things of the Lord. And if you're familiar with this passage, you're familiar with the fact that it's a sort of a run-on. Paul just keeps going. And I don't think I'll read the whole thing, but this is Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, if you want to read the whole thing. But he's talking about the riches that Christians experience in the now, the already. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And he goes on. We already have that. We have these riches of heaven, those tremendous blessings that only saints in Christ have. And sometimes we're so quick to forget just how rich we are. But we know that it's not yet complete. We know that Jesus said to his apostles that he goes to prepare a place for them. And he's preparing that place to receive his saints. So it's not yet full. We're still looking forward to that greater city. That greater glorious place where where the glory of God will not be veiled as it is to us now. But the splendor of his glory and the presence of his people no longer burdened by the fallen nature of this world, no longer burdened by our own sins and the sorrows that weigh down on us every single day. That's what we look forward to. That's the promise of God. But as we're on the journey, we have to learn from these people not to look back. Don't look back. God has taken you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has brought you from death to life. And he's put you on a journey to heaven. Don't look back. I'm always amazed when I know people who were delivered from terrible lifestyles, but they almost speak as if they still glory in those glory days of sin and depravity. They kind of miss that licentiousness, that looseness that they once in their sinful nature enjoyed so much. It makes no sense. I always marvel at myself now and marvel at some others who look at the world and almost envy how the world seems to just be able to have so much fun and they seem to prosper. I always point myself and others to Psalm 73. Our lot is good, people. Their lot is not good. Whatever the case is, we're not to look back but we look forward to the reign of Christ and the kingdom of glory, reunion with saints, deliverance from the burdens that we bear. Not that we deserve it, but because God is gracious and has promised us the richness of heaven. Well, these people, these Old Testament saints, never received the promises in full. I'm convinced that they were so covenantally minded that they understood the promises for all God's people, for all generations of saints to come. So even though they didn't receive the promise in their day of the fullness of Messiah, the promise of the fullness of heaven, yet they still could rejoice in them, put their faith in them, anticipating it certainly for themselves in a future time, but anticipating the blessing that would be on all God's people, generation after generation, through his covenant blessings. But they didn't receive. They didn't receive. We have the fulfillment. We have the fulfillment. But even for them, because of their undying faith and their unfailing vision, they had unbound lives. Unbound lives. They undoubtedly cherished their lives. But they held life in this world loosely. 
loosely. They understood who they were in this world. They were strangers and aliens and exiles. They understood that they were heirs of the kingdom, citizens of heaven, so that they could hold this world loosely. The author says they spoke thus. Their lives spoke that way. Sometimes they very literally spoke that way. Abraham, when he's seeking to bury his wife Sarah before the Hittites, says, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Jacob before Pharaoh in his old age is brought down into Egypt. And here's what he says to Pharaoh. The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. Psalm 119, I am a sojourner on earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Psalm 39, 12, hear, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. And so they understood that they were sojourners, exiles, strangers in this world. Each one of them were recipients of God's grace, for sure. But each one of them exercised that undying faith, and they held on to that vision. They were productive in this life. It's not as if they just looked forward to heaven. They served God well. That's part of the writer of Hebrews' point. They served God well on their journey. They understood that they were made to glorify God and to enjoy him. So they were productive, but productive in a spiritual sense for sure, even in a worldly sense, but they knew that they were not going to take their material possessions with them. Abraham was phenomenally rich for his day, but he knew he wasn't going to take all those riches with him. And he always had the vision before him. They knew they knew that their best life is not now. Is not now. Well, the same is true for us. We understand, I hope we understand, who we are. Our lives should speak thus. That we, as Paul says, are citizens of heaven. Heirs of the kingdom. That's who we are in Christ. And so we need to learn to hold this world loosely, productive in this life, productive in this life, but with our eyes always on the kingdom, storing up things that last. Not so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good, but not so earthly-minded that we lose focus on the things that remain, the things that really matter, the things that are forever. And so may God grant us undying faith, an unfailing vision, and help us to unbind our lives to this fallen world and the things that are passing. The Apostle Paul says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
We are of all people to be most pitied. We need to understand that this life is Christ. To die is gain. Last passage I want us to look at before one final comment is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you want to just listen, that's fine. But I want us to try to understand that by his grace we can embrace the mentality of Paul and his companions as he's trying to encourage the people of Corinth. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring with us you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. One final word. There's an amazing thing in this passage. Close with the stunning part of all this. With all of our flaws, with all of our failures, God is happy to call us his own. God was not ashamed. In fact, he was happy to declare these Old Testament saints were his very own. He rejoiced over them. What an amazing thing that the Lord actually delights in his people. As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Every saint would say that 
that pleasure that God has in us and all the riches that we're given and all the hope of heaven that we have set before us is all of his wonderful, amazing grace. That's what we testify to. And we give him the praise and glory. We have seen the Christ. And we look forward to wonderful heaven. And in the meantime, God will give us the grace to persevere. Let's pray. Merciful and mighty God, you've given us so much more than we deserve. You've given us your grace and all the riches of heaven. You've given us faith, faltering and failing and weak as it may be. Lord, you've given us faith. You've given us an undying faith, even when it's simply a seed of faith. Lord, we don't despair because we trust in you. You are unchanging. You are eternal. You are faithful to your people. You've given us a beautiful vision of what's still to come, enjoying the riches now. Lord, we look forward to the fullness of those blessings in time to come. Help us then. Help us then to hold the things of this world loosely, to enjoy the many, many blessings that you've given to us, even all the material blessings and all the good things that we have. Help us to truly enjoy them and give you thanks and praise for them. But Lord, help us to remember that the things of this world and this world order are all passing as we look forward to the surpassing glories of eternity with you. Help us to keep that beautiful perspective that's focused on all of your promises that are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. We come to you in the name of our Savior who has gone before us, 